0: Hey, hey, okay, so you guys know that I've moved my platform over to Patreon and that's patreon.com slash Jamie So everything is moved there. That's where I'm now housing all my parenting content. For a dollar a month, you can access all the episodes of my podcast, but no worries if you don't want to do any financial commitment at all. We'll continue to release selected episodes here on your favorite listening platform. And just so you know, I also put up free public posts and mini-podcasts on that Patreon page. So all you have to do is head over to that main page, patreon.com slash jamieglowacki, and you can see my free public posts and mini podcasts. Head over there to check it all out. And now on to today's show. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki, and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, but holy fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot.
1: Hey hey you guys. So today I have Dana Obelman on and she is a sleep expert. She is the founder of the acclaimed Sleep Sense program. Now, I know you guys are tired of hearing me talk about sleep. <laughs> but I'm going to have yet another expert on because sleep is so important and I'm hoping that, you know, through various experts that something is going to ping with you guys and we're all going to get more sleep. Welcome Dana. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Do you have any other things you would like to say about introducing yourself? (laughs) Well, I can tell a little bit of my story if you want to hear it. I would love to.
2: Okay. So I had um, my first son 19 years ago now, hard to believe, but um, he was a terrible sleeper right from day one. And, you know, you go endless hours of staying awake. He was cranky. He was high needs. I was, you know, postpartum and struggling and kind of hit rock bottom around that five or six month mark where I just thought I can't do this anymore. Right. Like I, I can't, I, I don't, I don't have the mom gene, I guess. I, I can't suffer like this. I can't, I can't do it. And in that moment, you know, I'm crying on the couch and feeling like a total failure and my husband came out and, and uh, we kind of make a, a little pact in that moment that we would try to figure out if there was something we could do to help him sleep better that was the night the journey began for me. And I, I started doing the research and putting a plan together for him. And within you know a week or two, he just transformed before my very eyes. He turned into this really chill, happy little guy who started sleeping great. And it was so transformative for, for me uh, personally, but as for our family as well, that I I just I couldn't not share the good news. Like I, I just was so compelled to at least educate parents that there was something that you could do, you know, if you chose to. And that's, that was the, yeah, I never looked back. I, I started coaching parents privately and created the sleep sense program and it's been full steam ever,
1: ever since. That is so awesome. I have such a similar story. So you guys had mentioned this before on the podcast, but it bears repeating. So Pascal, my son was seven months. I was a social worker in uh, residential facilities and we would have a staff meeting and I walked into a staff meeting and two of the house psychiatrists were like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I was like, my baby's waking up every 20 minutes. And we co-slapped and he was nursing and it was every 20 minutes. And I was not sleeping. And I was so nervous that I'm a single mom. I've always been a single mom. I was so nervous that I would shake him. I was so nervous that in the middle of the night, I would get frustrated with him and do damage in a deprived state. And one of the psychiatrists said, you need to sleep train that baby. And I was like, okay, so Pascal's 15. So I was at the beginning of the the sound bites. Don't ferberize your baby. Don't cry it out. Don't do this nonsense. And I was like, I can't cry it out. And she was like, read Ferber. And I was like, And I actually got Ferber's book and he is not crying out. He is like, one of the most amazing things that he said was like, we go from the baby in the womb. And at the time I lived in San Francisco at a very busy intersection, fire trucks, accidents. My child was hearing that in the womb. And then I was trying to do like this, like black and shade, white noise, (laughs) he wanted noise. And so that really helped. And we did it for one night and it wasn't cry it out. It was very um conscious. And the next night he slept fucking hours. And I was wow. like, I uh, like I mean, I didn't feel compelled to become a sleep expert, but I have a very big mouth. So I was like, you guys, <laughs> like murmerizing. <laughs> so all my way of saying. I don't know if like current parents, I don't know if berberizing is a thing, but when I was on your website, Dana, I loved there's this one like tab that you can click and it said, cry it out, berberize, like you know, all these different parenting philosophies. And I love that you address them all. Can you speak to that for a minute? And can you also tell us why sleep is so important? Like, what did you find in your research?
2: Well, I you know, I I think the heart of the issue is that you have to teach a baby to develop independent sleep skills. So there's no way around that, right? If you have a baby who you're always rocking to sleep or you're always feeding to sleep, that connection needs to be broken so that this child can start to learn some new ways to get to sleep. That's what has to happen, right? So we can't reinvent the wheel there, but there are some different approaches to getting there. And so I like to give people options you know, people are nervous about this thing called cry it out and they don't even understand what that means. So there are different approaches like you did with Ferber, which is kind of a leave and check model. There's an option in the sleep sense program where you can stay in the room with the child. I mean, the skill still needs to develop. So there's going to be tears. I mean, there's no way to make change without some sort of um, resistance or protest. So I'm not going to dance around that fact. It's just a fact. It's just
1: the fact of life. Um, oh, wait, can we stop there for one second? Let's, yeah. let's talk about that because crying is a protest to change. And I also like that on your website, right? It's not necessarily like, I'm abandoned. Yeah. It, it's like, no, I don't like the change. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and it can also be like a settling of the day, right? Like, oh my God, like I gained an inch of vision and God, life is so confusing right now. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's
2: absolutely true. You know, making changes to anybody's sleep habits is met re- with resistance. We are, you know, as human beings, we are very protective and habitual about our sleep habits. And, you know, that's why you don't sleep that great when you're in a hotel or, or at, at a friend's place, because things are different. There's change there. And we don't like that when it comes to sleep. So, you know, getting a baby to say goodbye to their habits and ask them to learn new ways to fall asleep, it's going to be met with protests that, I mean, they're not going to know how to do it. So you're basically asking them to start from scratch and learn a new way to fall asleep. And they're going to cry as a, as a reaction to that, as it's, I always call it, it's a side effect of learning something new, um, mm, which kids yeah, cry know. a lot when they're learning something new, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and I was teaching my kids to read, you know, we had tears almost every single night until they figured it out. So it is a reaction to change. And that, you know, that's just a fact. I, I can't do anything about that. I wish I had a magic, you know, magic wand that I could just wave it above a baby and they would, you know, go to sleep peacefully every night and, and sleep all night. But that like, that's not reality. So, you know, the, the facts are the facts.
1: It, it's so true. And I also like that they, I think this was mind-blowing to me is that kids need to learn how to sleep. I think we assume like, oh, you're tired, you sleep. Like that's what you do. But like sleep hygiene, the idea of creating a routine and that kids need to learn how to sleep is like mind-blowing. All right. So let's talk about... pandemic so my audience here is largely toddlers maybe edging into six and seven year olds and it is what we're recording this on july 26th (laughs) and i have been telling people let's get your ducks in a row before school and now like summer's fun and we came up and i know we're talking about like special circumstances because of coming off of the pandemic and everybody jumped into life and i'm hearing all my clients are like keeping their kids up till 11 it's fun we have fires we have s'mores we have paddle boarding and kayaking and all the fun things but i'm like uh uh-uh. uh no we have to get back to it now for school routine so let's talk about that yeah
2: you're absolutely right i think What most people do is they wait until the night before, right? And they're like, okay, it's like bath time is 7 p.m. Let's get you to bed. That's not the way our body clocks work. You know, any kind of change you make to a body clock, it takes a couple of weeks to settle in. And so if you've been keeping your little one up until 10 or 11 o'clock at night, we need to back that up. You know, we need to start slowly moving bedtime back to an appropriate time. And the best way to do that is to start blackening the room, like really, really be conscious of the light source that's um, coming into your house and into your bedroom, because we know that light and darkness is crucial to our, our body clocks. So, you know, dimming down the lights, closing the curtains, getting some blackout blinds if it's still light, when you want your little one to go to bed, depending on where you live in this world, that can be a reality. And then I love routines we all have our bedtime routine. Uh, You know, if you think about it, there's, there's prep involved in getting yourself ready for bed. And that acts as a trigger. It's a cueing system to our bodies and our brains that let us, lets us know that we're transitioning out of day and into our nighttime sleep. And so setting up a solid, predictable bedtime routine with your kids right from day one is my recommendation I love it to a bath or a shower is a great great way to start. There's lots of evidence that suggests that baths or showers for all of us before bed is really helpful in regulating our body temperature, which is a, a very important part of staying asleep all night. So a bath or a shower, you know, into jammies. Some story time, or um, you know, I lo- I'm a teacher by trade, so I love when people read to their kids. So some kind
1: of activity. Well, I go can- a little bit. I go even more in detail with sleep routine. So I have parents get a whiteboard because kids are the biggest gaslighters. In the world, they'll be like, right. you didn't need a story five minutes ago. So I have parents like check off a list. I love um, that. It's so funny though. I just want to present a different point of view, which is my son had eczema. And so he couldn't be bathed but like two times a week. And I found that right. baths were very stimulating for like a two year old. Like yes. it starts playing. And so, like, I just want to introduce like maybe if the bath is too stimulating, you don't have to bathe your child every day.
2: That's true. You know, it's true. No no child is relaxing in the tub. It's not the same as if you were to take a bubble bath, right? And you're lighting candles (laughs) and having a glass of wine. (laughs) No, 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 no kid really relaxes. And as long as you don't let that go, and it can be overstimulated for some kids, especially if they have some sensory, Mm -hmm. you know, issues going on. But as long as you don't let it run on too long, like you give them about, you know, seven to 10 minutes in the tub, let them have a good play. And then we go into the rest of the routine, which involves, you know, getting, setting the stage and getting the books and the cuddles and all the good stuff that comes afterwards. But I had, uh, it was actually a client who shared this idea with me was, um, some nights she'd just put him in the tub with no water. Like she'd just get him naked and, you know, wipe his face and stuff. And he'd just play with his toys without any water. Yeah. So, so you could do that if you're worried about, you know, drying out the skin. You know, as long as there's something in the routine that is a good cue that it's step one, right? That yeah, and I also recommend a candlelight, massage. like,
1: like uh-huh. reading um, books by candlelight, like dimming. But, and again, I want to, uh, just give an alternate point of view, which is my son. So in utero, he woke up at five 30 in the morning and I was not a morning person before my son, <laughs> but he was doing cartwheels, So it was no surprise once he was born five 30 every day, maybe sleep into five 36. Right. And the time changes, he would not mm. even register. It was still five 30. It was brutal. And, I recognize, you know, people are like, well, you're putting him to bed too, you know, old people, (laughs) you're putting him to bed too early. So I would try to keep him up till 10. It doesn't, didn't matter. 5.30, 5.30, 5.30, 5.30. So I'm not a dummy. I was like, I'm going to put him to bed at five. I kept pushing it earlier and earlier. He was going to bed for the first five years of his life at 5.30, 5.30. At night, and people like, but it's sunlight. And I was like, the sun has nothing to do with bedtime. I don't even. And I never had the blackening sheets, so I just was like, it's bedtime. I don't care. And he would go right to sleep. But I, you know, so just like if people want to know, like you don't necessarily need the blackening shades. Like if you establish a culture of like it's it's bedtime. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, it's it
2: should be a non-negotiable, right? Like right. It, it, it's bedtime. That's that's yeah. the end of the
1: discussion. Exactly. So what about sleep issues when a kid is sick? And I, cause here's what I say, my clients, they're like, I let him into my bed one time. He had a cold. I just wanted to make sure he was breathing. And like, it's hell in a handbasket and it's a clusterfuck of sleep now. And I was like, I know you can work on sleep for like six months and one night in your bed destroys it all. It's so <laughs> true. Everybody was so high anxiety, especially in the beginning. Like we, of course, we held our kids close. We were like, "You go ahead, and come in my bed," you know. But now everybody's like, uh, "I need to work. They need to go yeah. to school. So what do you do? Like illness when you know you maybe the kid gets back in your bed. What happens?
2: Yeah, you're so right. Again, it can you know. I always tell people. Three nights is kind of my rule of thumb, like don't do anything different for three nights in a row, because then you've possibly created a alternative habit, right? right the one right, that right. you don't want to show up. So for sickness, I always say, listen, go to their room instead, like throw a mattress down on the floor and camp out for a night or two in their room. If you're really worried, if that's the concern that you're worried. I like that. that. Gonna... I never yeah. thought of go that. Go to them. Go All to them right. instead. That's e- that's an, that's easier to get you out of there than to get the child out of your bed. So start with that, and then I always say, listen. There's no reason why you can't increase your comfort level, right? Because if kids are sick, they might need a cuddle, and they might, you know, need their nose wiped. And you know, I'm not saying ignore sick children. I would never say that. But try not to interfere with their skill set. Like if you've worked really hard to teach your child to sleep in their own crib then try not to mess around with that, right? Give them the cuddle, give them a nose wipe, give them the drink of water, whatever you need to do, and then put them back in that crib and expect them to fall back to sleep because they know how. It's just when you start doing really different things like feeding to sleep or bringing your baby into bed with you or or doing all these um, very different things, that's when trouble shows up. And I think the same is through the pandemic, you know, there's no reason why we can't increase our comfort level because this, this was stressful for kids too. Let's not forget that, but we just don't want to interfere because when we do that, we actually end up making children feel more insecure. You know, when rules are not rules anymore and there's no boundaries left and everything's, you know, everything's, everything's a free for all that leaves kids feeling really insecure and concerned. Like, I don't know what's up. I don't know what's going on with her. She, the rules are not rules anymore. And it actually makes their behavior, um, you know, the bad behavior show up even more because they're trying to figure out where the
1: boundary is. Let me stop. I am such a boundary whore. It's ridiculous. (laughs) So my whole podcast is boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. And I keep, I keep trying to get this through to people is that boundaries make you feel secure. And it's, especially when your kids are little. And I think what happens is we think we're being footloose and fancy free and like, oh, cool. We can be like, you know, on the, the cool mom, no, yeah. no rules, you know? And it is like the routines. And that is my whole shtick. Honestly, my second book is all about zero to six. You don't even have a relationship with your kid; It's boundaries, 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 boundaries. I'm just so happy to hear you reiterate that. <laughs> You guys, it makes your kids feel safe and secure. Bedtime is seven o'clock. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we're traveling. doesn't matter yes. if you're sick. Bedtime is seven o'clock. Now, I also wanted to chime in a little bit. One thing that I learned from Ferber, what you were talking about when a kid is sick, is, you know, especially when they're still in a crib, if you go over the crib, that means you're getting out. If you go through the bars, it means I'm helping you, but I'm not getting you out. So that was key in helping Pascal sleep through the night. Is like, I patted him on the back through the bars. I'm not getting you. And then taking my hand out. I love that. Yeah. I wanted to touch on, because I shared my story with Pascal going to bed at 5.30. And a lot of my friends, now I like cloth diapered. I made my own baby food. I was like, you know, the hippie mom. And my friends were like, how do you have time to do that? And I was like, well, number one, I don't have a husband. (laughs) I don't have another relationship. But honestly, I was like, you guys, I'm a single mom. I can't be tapped out. I recognize very early, I'm running the show. If I am exhausted, I am going to react to my child. I'm going to be reactive. I'm going to be stressed out. And me putting him to bed at 530, I had the whole evening to myself. And I think that's something you're passionate
2: about. So, oh, so passionate about that. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes it's a a little bit of a hard sell with the parent, you know, oh, well, I don't want to put it to bed that early, you know, so-and-so doesn't get home until this hour and, and all of this, all of this like resistance to the early bedtime. But once I get a taste of it, right, once it actually starts to show up and they're like, oh my gosh, like, it's 7.00 PM and this child doesn't sleep. Like the world is open again. Let's, you know, have dinner while it's still hot. Let's watch a movie all the way through. I mean, there's just so many little blessings in having that time to yourself. Because if you don't, you'll do something called revenge insomnia, which means because everyone needs time. Everyone needs their own time. And if you're not getting it, you'll find it somewhere. So that usually means you're pushing. Like if your child finally falls asleep at 11 o'clock, you should be getting to bed, but you're probably not. You're going to do your, your your revenge insomnia kicks in and you're going to stay up until two o'clock in the morning because love you need that, that time.
1: Verb. Yeah, love that.
2: you need it.
1: Revenge so now you're, even
2: more, now you're even more shattered the next day you should have gone to bed as soon as the little one passed out, but you didn't. And now you're starting the day and it, it trickles into everything. You know, it's going to affect your performance at your job. It's going to affect your health. It affects your memory. It affects your weight. I mean, sleep deprivation affects everything in your life. And so it, it, it has to be as important as anything else. Like we wouldn't not feed our kids because we wanted
1: to play with them. Right. I we would, call we would it never a do nutrient. That. It's a nutrient. <laughs> sleep is a nutrient. And as much as we put like our energy into feeding our kids, well, we have yes. to sleep as well <laughs> exactly people go
2: people are go bananas about the food you know feed times and create, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, making yeah. your own food and and we're so focused on like like giving this child the best nutrition that they can have but but so many people are ignoring one of the one of of equal value
1: and that's sleep i think one of the things i learned too and i don't know if you found this in your research but like one hour of sleep affects your cognitive functioning. And with kids, it's cognitive development. And I was like, we're literally dumbing our kids down by keeping them up too late. You're right. It does.
2: It affects IQ 100%. It does. And attention. So, you know, these kids that are then starting preschool and in and, and grade school, and they're like, you know, flying around and not focused. And we start calling it ADHD or whatever we're calling it. For a lot of kids, it's just, it's just mild sleep deprivation. It's just, if we could just get them on a better schedule, a more consistent schedule with enough hours in the night of consolidated sleep, you would see an increase in their ability to concentrate and function
1: well. Now you had mentioned something like two minutes ago and you said, you know, whoever's coming home nighttime, the nighttime routine. So what I had found, so I've been doing my work for like 12 years full time. And there has definitely been a shift. So I'm 53 when I was a kid, like literally my dad came home at five, dinner was on the table. It was like Archie Bunker. Like we, had, like, you know, my dad had, had his chair, my mom would saute onions so that the house smelled like she'd been cooking all day. We sat <laughs> down and we ate. Now with tech and, and jobs, the person often working outside the home comes home at like seven or eight. Now I find that parents have been really, I want to say brainwashed, but I feel like that's really judgmental about like family meals. And my view of under six years old is nutrition matters. Family meals are not the deal, especially if a family meal is at seven o'clock Mm -hmm. You find your kids slipping under the table, resistant to eating, throwing a tantrum, and then bedtime keeps getting delayed and delayed. So what I have my, you know, my big thing is like, have dinner for the child early, like four, three or four, when they want a snack, don't give them a snack, give them a meal. (laughs) And then when your spouse comes home, or even two spouses come home, you know, that your connection time with the kids is playing reading stories, starting the bedtime routine, and then you and your spouse can have a nice fucking dinner by yourselves without the kids. One more bite, one more bite, right? Yeah. So do you find that's like a challenge with your, with your business? Mm -hmm. Oh, totally.
2: You know, and I I always stress it's quality, not quantity. So why would you, yeah. Why do you want to play with a sleep as a tired child, right? They're just going to be, what what happens when children are are tired, they get cranky, right? So now you're trying to force this tired child to play with you and they're cranky and they're miserable and they're not going to eat well because of it. You know, when what you could do instead is get this little person to bed early, and it might mean you miss out a little bit on the evening time. But now you've got the morning time, right? In our house, my husband used to get up with our son, you know, around six thirty ish, and they would go and he would feed him breakfast and they would have a little bit of playtime together. and it was just the two of them because I'm still in bed. And then when he had to, you know, when he had to start getting ready to leave for work, then he would be like, okay, it's, it's, you know, shift change. It's now now you, you get that time. But this was like really special time between the two of them. And it wasn't long, but it was good quality because they were both, you know, rested and happy and having a good time together. So you can find other places. It doesn't have to be at the end of the day. It could be other
1: places. And, you You know, maybe a day is Saturday, Sunday. I think it's the worst time. Right. They're exhausted. Like I call, exactly. you know, three to six is the clusterfuck witching hour. Like no kid is good, you right. know? And, and you're so funny because Pascal, you know, woke up at five 30 and people would be like, Oh, but don't you miss out on time? And I was like five 30. So I live in new England. There'd be a blizzard. We would go out and build a snowman, come in, we would play candy We'd have hot chocolate. We would have <laughs> breakfast, like a big breakfast. And then I'd be like, Oh, it's time for school. Like we fit more in in the morning than most people fit in in a day. Okay, you claim on your website to make bedtime stress-free. All right, talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so first of all, if,
2: if you teach a child the importance of sleep, if you teach them that tired feelings are icky and getting into this beautiful place where sleep happens is a lovely thing. Like I I can remember my kids like toddling up to the crib and like reaching up to like, put me in that thing. And my second son would literally smile, smile once he got into the crib and he'd grab his blankie and he'd roll around smiling because he's happy to be there. So, you know, if you first of all, teach them to have a good relationship with sleep, that sleep is not the enemy.
1: Sleep is not a punishment. Sleep is so great. Yes. I think like, really, guys, if you get a takeaway from this, sleep is not the enemy. And I think what what are we taught? Like sleep when you're dead, um, right? going. But I think as adults, too, we need to take that in. I go to bed at 830 and I don't go out like I'm not a social person. Right? (laughs) How do you go to bed at 830? It was like sleep is so
2: great. <laughs> yeah, you want to have that great relationship. Your bed should be the best place you go in your day. Like it should be a welcoming thing when you crawl into that that beautiful spot, you know you're going to go to sleep. So that's number 1. You have to create this like good relationship with sleep. So they're happy to go there when it's time. And then like, like we've been talking about setting the boundaries, it's a non-negotiable, right? So if your kids eventually figure out that something something is a non-negotiable, they're going to be way less re- resistant to fighting it. You know, like sunscreen, you know, every kid hates to get right. sunscreen on, but once they learn that, Hey, it's happening, whether you like it or not, they, they learn to live with it and then setting that great routine. So having that very predictable routine. There's no surprises. There's nothing random about it. It's, it's step one is this, step two is this, step three is this, step four is that. And at every time, like for example, with toddlers, a, a common place to push boundaries is at bath time. And so set a timer, right? When this bell rings, that means it's time to get out of the tub. We can do it the easy way or the hard way. It's up to you. And once they get it, then as soon as they hear that bell, they're like, oh, the bell has told me it's time to get out of this tub. So out of the tub, they come. The same can be done with stories. You know, If you're going to sit and cooperate through the story, then you get to have two. If you're not going to cooperate through the story, then story time is over and off to bed we go. So just managing the, the situation and any little like pushback that comes up because test, kids
1: test boundaries, right? That, that's what they do. I think that's what I'm butting up against in my work. And you must see this too, is that we're in a current phase of like this gentle parenting. Like parents don't want to do like the hard work. Like you have to be the bad guy sometimes, you know, you just do. And I like what you said though. We can do this the easy way or the hard way. You want to do it the hard way? Okay. It sucks. <laughs> right. But you know, and I'll often get people I had done a podcast about like what people will be like, um, my kid's been crapping his pants for three years. Do you have any tips? Do I have any tips? Are you crazy? <laughs> That's not tips. You know what I mean? Like I think we've come to a place where we're almost afraid to parent, you know? Yeah,
2: I totally agree. And then again, that leads to, to the child having some security issues and then it carries on. I'm and I'm seeing too, and I know most of your listeners are with little ones, but this is a cautionary tale. Is you see these kids turn into you know teens and young adults who can't self manage, right? They don't have any skill set for regulating emotion they don't have a skill set for you know interacting as you know stepping out into the world they've been kind of sheltered and we we we're so fearful oh don't upset them they shouldn't cry you know they, we don't want them to feel bad but those are all normal human emotions and if you don't learn how to regulate them or you don't learn how to respond to what do i do when i feel upset what do i do when i feel disappointed what do i do when i feel frustrated if they
1: don't learn those skills they're going to struggle into adulthood. Oh my God, you are speaking my love language, right? <laughs> I had a feeling we would really, we were, it, we were going to connect. Like, honestly, though, this is what I tell you guys, like this is my whole work. So I go with Kim John Payne is one of my favorite authors and zero to six is govern, six to 12 is garden and 12 to 18 is guide. And we have parents trying to guide the zero to six. When they have no prefrontal cortex development, they have no long-term anything. And so that is like the bulk of my work. And I keep saying this is like, you guys, it's about building the foundation. Like it feels shitty. You know, you come home from work and your kid's already in bed, but you know what? Like, wait, wait. Cause when they're six, seven, eight, nine, you're gonna have this beautiful relationship with them. And I, you know, I'm a a, a example, my son's 15 and he is not a typical nasty teenager. He is so vibrant. Like if you build a foundation, it comes and they feel Mm -hmm. secure. I love that you use that word secure. We want a secure attachment and parents think that being their kid's friend is a secure attachment. But it's not. Secure attachment is, I got you. I got you. Bedtime's six. <laughs> Bath time <Right>. at five. <laughs> Dinner's at four. <laughs> like, that is a secure attachment. Now, you had talked about earlier, you you know, like the sleep quality, sleep hygiene. What about like a sleep sanctuary? So how do we do a sleep sanctuary in our current society where rooms look like Disney?
2: Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. Yeah. So I, I have a post that I, I put up on my social media every now and then that says, this is a perfect nursery and it's just like a beige wall with a crib, nothing in it. <laughs> that's a perfect nursery. Um, yeah. We, when we go to our bedrooms, we want to feel calm. And this goes the same with adults. If you 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 know, if you came to me with sleep challenges of your own, I would that's the first place we're starting. Like what's going on in the bedroom? Is there a, pack, a stack of laundry in the corner? Is there like work on your bed? That's going to be a stressor the minute you walk in the room. So we want a nice, calm, relaxed space when we first go in there. And overstimulating kids is, is easy to do, very easy to do, especially when they're fatigued. Um, so when they get into a crib and there's like mobiles and there's like all this stuff hanging off the side with bells and whistles and lights and, you know, packs, a stack of toys in the corner, that's just like information overload. And it's just going to, even if they're staring at it, like some kids go into that like zone where they're just like staring at the mobile, it looks like it's relaxing, but it's not, it's actually
1: really winding them up. It's really Really? stimulating to the brain. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. This is interesting because I think we're fed some bullshit information, We are. Design, we totally are. You know, get the brain development. Like people, people actually get their panties in a bunch about what mobile to get. Should yeah. it be black? No mobile.
2: Zero. You could have a mobile. You could hang the mobile under the little PlayStation during the day. That's fine. I agree. We need to, you know, all these things are great gadgets for stimulation and interaction and play, but not in the crib, not in the bedroom. That this is for sleep time now. This is not to wind the brain up or stimulate the brain. This is for like sleep. So all that other stuff, great, not in the crib. Get it out, 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 out. But yeah, you you're right. We've been fed this line that. I think toy companies just looked around and were like, well, where else can we tell parents they need toys? Right. And they're like, the crib, that's great real estate. There's all kinds of room in that crib. Totally. Totally. <laughs> oh my God. But that's, that's number one. And then there is lighting, you know, not again, some people can sleep anytime, day or night. It doesn't matter. It's not a problem, but for most of us, because there's such a biological cue to to light and darkness levels that keeping the room nice and dark for your bedtime keeping it nice and dark when the sun comes up in the morning to try to prevent a wake up is important um, to, to getting our body our circadian rhythm in line with um, falling asleep and temperature is important too we actually prefer it a, a little on the cool side and I think a lot oh, of parents I'm are over bundling Yeah. Yeah. Cold. Yeah. real like 68 to 72 is kind of the range, which is quite chilly, but yeah, we do like to be a little on the cool side. So keeping that nice and cool. Yeah. And just like keeping consistency, keeping the timing, our body clocks actually work perfectly when we're on a, such a set schedule. So for your son going to bed at five, five thirty and waking up at five 30, that's a perfect amount of nighttime sleep. 12 hours is what we're aiming for. And keeping that consistency keeps his body clock, which is what he wanted. He was showing you that in line because that's important. If we did the same thing for ourselves every night, we went to bed at 9 30 and got up at seven. We would not need an alarm clock.
1: The we would just naturally wake up. It's consistency. Yeah. yeah. Dana, I have to tell you, my son would like come up on my eyeball and open my eye and be like, Hi, mommy. And I'd be yeah. like, Could you go play with knives and fire? Like, really? <laughs> and he'd be like. No, you must get up with me. minute. <laughs> yeah. And so I have parents who are like, My kid's waking up at seven to pee. And I'm like, You get no sympathy from me. Zero. <laughs> now, I did want to mention to you guys that I don't know if you're aware of this, but the ADH, which is um, the antidiuretic hormone, which makes us pee less at night, is released with melatonin. Okay. So oftentimes when parents are struggling with night training their child for pee, I am like, Go earlier go earlier. And I make parents get their kids in bed by six and they're like, holy shit, they're not peeing through the night. And it was like, because the melatonin was released and the melatonin is released, correct me if I'm wrong, with light, correct? Darkness. Darkness. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, So that's where you might want to have darkening shades. You might want to have that. I mean, I live in the woods now, like in the woods. And the full moon woke me up the other night. Cause it was like this yeah. bright fucking sunlight in my room. I was like, are you kidding me? I wanted to talk about one thing. I have clients all the time who are like, well, my kid just won't go to bed. Like they won't go to bed. I put them to bed, then they won't fall asleep. And I want to talk about the myth of the night owl in mm-hmm. children. My solution has always been earlier. Like I maintain, and I could be wrong because I'm not a sleep expert, but I maintain that kids go through a cycle. Like they get tired, strung out, cranky, and then you almost get like a half hour of angelic behavior. And that tricks you, that tricks you, (laughs) makes you think, oh, they're not really tired. And then the cycle repeats. Can you speak to that? So true. Yeah, no, you're exactly
2: right. So most kids are are early birds, you know, not all, but... uh, a majority of children are early birds and they wake up in that sort of six to six to seven thirty wake up time. And so bedtime should basically match that. So if that's where you know, if that's what your child is showing you, I always say, let's let's work with what we've got here. This is what they're showing us. So let's not try to force a square into a, you know, force a peg into a, a round hole or whatever that saying goes. But yeah, so then you want to come back and be like, okay, if he's waking up around 6.30, then around 6.30 is when we should be looking at bedtime. And you're right. What happens then is, is they start, your body gets fatigued and is ready for sleep. But if sleep doesn't show up, then cortisol kicks in. That, that's that kind of stress hormone that starts saying, well, we're tired, but we're not, we're not given the opportunity to sleep yet. So let's kick in some cortisol to kind of get this child through or get our bodies through. And that's when they get a little hyper, or a little cranky. And then you're right. They kind of run around the room. They're being super cute. They're, you know, usually really quite delightful to be around but that's you've missed it right like now you missed you, it <laughs> you miss the window and now that cortisol surge is going to make it tougher to get them calm down enough for sleep to come and it's the same with adults if we push ourselves into overtiredness then we feel a little wired when we get to bed we feel like we just drank you know three cups of coffee and are trying to get to sleep it, it causes everyone to struggle and then the nighttime sleep is more fragmented too there's lots of research that suggests that we wake up more often when we're overtired and have early morning wake ups. So again, you got to shift the mind because a lot of parents think, well, he's waking up too early. Let's keep him up later. But that's just perpetuating the early morning wake up. And you're right. Often the answer is earlier, earlier, bring it earlier because they're going to bed overtired. And that's why they're waking up too early. And by bringing it back like you did, you know, when you bring it back, then often the morning will, will stretch out a little bit.
1: Yeah. I have found like my personal, I know my circadian rhythm. I have to be in bed by 10, 10, 15. I start getting wired 10 30. And just last night, my friend came over. She left at midnight. I have not been up to midnight in like years, right? but so funny because at 10 30, I became the comedian in the room. I was like, I'm fucking fire. Right. <laughs> and then and, you know, I went to bed at midnight, but I woke up at three. I woke up at four. It was so awful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? Now, what do you think about, what are hours? Like people always ask me, how much time does a kid need? Like how much sleep? And I'm like, just a fucking ton. Like 12 hours at night and maybe a two hour nap. Like what are, can you give me like zero to three, three to six? Like what are some... Yeah. I mean, newborns are kind of in their
2: own category, right? They're just sleeping yeah, yeah. in small chunks, 24 hours a day. But when we get into like the three-ish months, it, there usually starts to emerge a bit of a schedule there. And so we're looking at, I mean, they, the, the, the books say 10 to 12 hours of nighttime sleep, but I don't know a ton of kids who are in the 10. So I, I always say that's really rare. I'm shooting for more 11 to 12. That's average, 11 to 12 hours of nighttime sleep. And then, you know, three ish naps during the day for the little ones for the three ish to six month age range. And then the naps kind of trickle out. So we drop from three naps to two naps, then from two naps to one nap. But the nighttime sleep should stay the same. So we're still looking at 11 to 12 hours of nighttime sleep. And that Goes all the way to adolescence. You know, when we get to the school age, that doesn't change. They still need that much sleep. And some kids even need a little bit more now because there's so much stress and activity in the day that they actually do need even a little bit more nighttime sleep. And so I used to teach grade one and I would be shocked at the amount of grade one children who are staying up till nine or 10 o'clock at night. They still need that solid 11 to 12 hours. And even into the teen years, teens need way more sleep than they're getting.
1: They need about nine. Let me stop you. Okay. Now I've I've shared Pascal woke up at five 30 every fucking day. And I was, I was praying. I was like, I spent the first six years of his life being like, I know one day you'll be a teenager. I know. And now he's a teenager. He sleeps so fucking noon. Yeah, and, that's but he's normal. But up till midnight. He's up till yeah. midnight. And like, I mean, we know how the teen brain works, right? Like that—that that is it. And I'm so grateful that I can homeschool because I'm like sleep, sleep, yeah. sleep. And he wakes up at noon and he's like, mom, I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I got I got the same going on. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, you it's have true. a 19 year old. Well, yeah,
2: I have three teens, um, but yeah, they that, that's, that's, a, that's biological as well. That's a biological circadian shift, and it basically bumps down about three hours from that of an adult. So if you're sleepy and tired around nine o'clock, your teen is not sleepy or tired until three hours past that. So we're looking at, you know, 12, one o'clock in the morning is when they start to feel ready for bed. Um, and we're forcing these kids to get up at six o'clock and catch buses and get to school. It's madness. It makes me crazy because no. it's science. It's biology. It's not laziness. And we can't we can't force them out of it by making them. It, it's
1: biological. Holy shit. Can we just go down that rabbit hole for one second? And I know you guys have like little kids, but let's talk about the teens because to me, I remember... Oh my God. I remember doing, like I cross my hands and I put them over my forehead so I could fall asleep in French class mm-hmm. and nobody would know. And I remember I'm 53 years old and I have a visceral memory of the exhaustion that I was feeling. And I was called lazy. You know, my parents were like, you're lazy. Now you have three teens, how old? Uh, 15, 16 and 19 okay, so you're a fucking saint right now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm in it. it. I'm in it. Can we just talk about teenagers for one second, like on a personal level? It. Like, Yeah. Aren't they great? They are great. And they're also... You know, I always said to my husband when we got to the teen years, I was like, they weren't lying. They weren't lying. This this isn't easy. Like, there's definitely challenges there. But you're right. I think if you lay the groundwork and you have a pretty good, strong foundation as you get into those teen years, I mean, we're sailing through it relatively easily. But there, there are days.
1: My son looks at me like I am the stupidest person uh-huh. on earth. And he's no. scathing in his like, Really? Uh-huh. Really, mom? <laughs> So I have to tell you like a really quick story though, because I'm really open with my son. It's just me and him. So we have a very democratic household, (laughs) but, uh, we just got chickens and our chickens have been dying. So three chickens died. And I like, you know, I am a business person. I have my to-do list and I'm going through it. And he's like, ma, he comes in, he's like, ma, we've got a bacteria issue. Like the chickens need to be dealt with. And I was like, You can't come up on me like you wrecked my day. I have my to do list. (laughs) And suddenly he goes, "Your shit together." Do you want chickens (laughs) for eggs? And I was like, "Yes." And he was like, "Farm shit happens, mom." (laughs) He totally calls me on my own bullshit. (laughs) That's so great. Yeah. So I, you know, the the issues are harder because we're dealing with like sex, drugs. And it's weird because I find myself in this position with my teen. I'm like, do not do drugs ever, but don't do drugs on the street. And if you want to, let me buy them because I don't want fentanyl. <laughs> like, <it's> right. <laughs> like, it really, not want is my hard. son to do drugs in my house, but I'm also like, don't buy it on the street because right. we don't know what's in it. So yeah, it's really challenging. It's a lot to navigate. It really is. Dana, this has been amazing. This was like, Probably the, my favorite interview ever. Oh, <laughs> thank you.
2: I had fun too. It's been great. I, and it's way more fun when you meet someone who like shares, shares your values, right? Like you yeah. get. I, I feel like we could talk about a lot.
1: My audience though, they know every single podcast, I'm like sleep, you need more sleep. I just woke up from good sleep. <laughs> it's good. <Yes. laughs> um, where can people find you? What's the best place to buy your
2: program? Yeah, well, just check out the website, which is sleepsense.net. And I'm also on social media. You can find me on SleepSense on Instagram. That's a fun place to hang out with me. I like to give gifts away and things like that. So um, yeah, I look forward to uh, connecting with your audience.
1: Cool. Thanks. All right, you guys, rock on as always and sleep. Just go to sleep. Sleep yeah, more. Yeah, have some, <laughs> take a nap, take a nap, do it. <laughs> me too. All
0: right, rock on guys. All right. I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, yummy new book presale treats, when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the Oh Crap Potty Training online course my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified OCRAP consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.